sorry, I'm a little out of it. Trying again. One, two, three. Four, five, six. Great. Um, hi, Vanessa. Hi, Adam. Uh, welcome to Uncertain Things. The the podcast where we're learning to count. To, to, how to make podcasts. Exactly. Today we have Matt Welch. He is editor-at-large at Reason Magazine. He was involved in jumpstarting a variety of outlets reported from around the world and just has had one hell of an interesting career as a truly independent-minded journalist. Mm-hmm. But uh, wait, Adam, you didn't mention that he's also a co-host oh, of the Fifth of Column. The Fifth Column podcast. I, I can smell the scotch just saying the name. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we invited him to join us on the day of Biden's inauguration because Matt's perspective on things is just so healthy, refreshingly not insane. And as, as I mentioned before, I has that libertarian disdain for for all political tribes that's especially needed in, in times like these. Mm-hmm. We got into the whole question of unity, which was one of the themes in Biden's inauguration. And I'm not sure how much we, we, we delved into it, but, but I, I think we all agree about how, and sorry if we're too on brand, but how frustratingly and intentionally stupid and cheap everyone is being about the, the, the unity conversation. I'm tired just trying to remember all the inane op-eds from the Democratic side about whether or not Trumpists should be welcome at the table, whether or not there should be there should be a truth and reconciliation committee. And from the Republican side on Biden is being hypocritical about unity because look at all the democratic policies that he's trying to advance. And seeing so many sanctimonious Republican politicians, some of whom still cast doubt about Biden's legitimate victory, malign their heads off about how Biden's rhetoric is divisive or Biden's policies are divisive. It just reinforces this feeling that nobody believes in anything. Nobody has a vision of what kind of world we want to live in, but everyone is just so committed to the battlefield itself. So now the word unity is what masks were six months ago. Right. And thus, on to the next stupid battle. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, we talked with Matt a lot about uh, the responsibility of journalists and media for this current moment what's the responsibility of the individual reporter if any of the media outlet of the platforms that host them what's all of these people's responsibility towards mediating this madness right and matt puts a lot of um weight on the role of the individual to take responsibility for what's happening around us. And we and we get into a bit of a debate around that, you know, the role of the journalist versus the role of the consumer versus the role of the distributor. Um, I don't necessarily agree on putting so much emphasis on the individual, but I do think that he made some really good points about why why perestroika begins with in the home. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, you you're you're much more keen than I am to to point fingers at, at at the platforms I am really stuck in the middle and because I'm a very much anti-regulation we, in our conversation with Robbie Suave a month ago fellow reason colleague of maths right I, I I was very much with him despite not being a full-fledged economic libertarian on his suspicion of this bipartisan push for for regulating big tech. I've already mentioned my flippant aphorism about this issue. If there's an idea that's gaining bipartisan support, it's probably a bad one. And you can really feel this happening with big tech with a lot of ideas 
being tossed around that will probably not get people the results they really want. And you really need only watch how Congress conducted the, the tech hearings in the past two years to know just how little you should trust these people with regulating that industry. But at the same time, also very uncomfortable with not t- taking stock of how much these technologies are changing and, 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 and fucking up with the way we, we think and, uh, about the world and interact with each other, because they obviously are. And, and this is really part of, of the, the, the emotional social conflagration that we are experiencing right now. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm, I'm, I don't I'm not saying that it's all tech's fault either. I'm also still kind of trying to evolve and figure out my position on this. Um, and hopefully, like, we'll we'll pursue some conversations in the future that kind of d- dive into this more. But, um, yeah, I just think that, you know, there there's blame to be spread around. So <laughs> um, but but either way, I think like uh, Matt's points are very well taken and they're the, the individuals in our society do have to take responsibility for, for some of what's happening. By the way, we get into a lot about, you know, cancel culture and the way that we're behaving um, in terms kind of culturally as well as in, like in the political sphere. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess his argument is, is uh, sorry, I was, I was thinking about your previous sentence, like <laughs> realizing that Matt's argument is, is, is along the lines of, hey, Bloomberg, Stop trying to take away Americans' bucket size soft drinks. That's not the way to get Americans to change their diets. The only way Americans are going to start eating healthy is if they choose to do so. Your laws aren't going to make any positive difference. They're just going to create more criminals. So hmm. same applies to media, I guess. Is that is that a sufficient answer? Again, I have no idea. I am so tired and clueless. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the uncertain things away, isn't it? Please, um, if you haven't already, uh, 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 subscribe, uh, follow us wherever we are Uncertain Pod on um, social medias. And uh, so media is already plural, sorry. Rate us on Apple. Give us them five stars. Yes, give us a five star review on Apple. Why not? Be kind. Be kind, give five. <laughs> Does Doesn't not rhyme. rhyme. And with that pathetic attempt at a rhyme, we give you Matt Welch. Matt Welch. Thank you so much for joining us. Awesome to be here on uh, Inauguration Day. It's exciting. These have been horrible two months, <laughs> politically speaking, for people who read the news. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't think of a better person, or at least many, who could do a better job trying to help us make sanity uh, out of what's going on. I, uh, I, I'm flattered that you think that I would have any help at all for such a project, but uh, <laughs> do what we can. Catharsis also works. <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's been a very strange um, part of, especially what we do at the fifth column of podcast. Like the the response that we get is the word sanity just comes up over and over again, which is just not what you'd expect from three assholes getting drunk. But um, that's that's what happens apparently. It also is a commentary on the state of all other discourse. I would say that's true. That's true. So where are your thoughts on this crisp inauguration day? I, you know, going into it, I uh, understood uh, that Joe Biden uh, was uh, and is kind of uh, by comportmental necessity, just sort of geared toward doing a speech about unity. Uh, And also that like, that's kind of what the guy in that position has to say after Mm -hmm. all the unpleasantness. Um, and that I'm just really not the target audience for that particular message right now. Um, really nothing against him, but just like... Ah. Against unity? 
I'm you're not, in the give me partisanship and give it now. It's not partisanship. It's just that like uh, it's hard. It's hard to um, believe in the in the ancient faiths uh, sometimes. And and right now, like unity and a common national purpose and a bunch of other stuff, it just feels like it. Um, whether or not it should feel like that, and you know, we should respond in a better way. It's just you know. Lincoln, better angels of our nature, this, that, like we've heard a lot of that before. And, um, and I, we do need to lead ourselves out of this thing. Um, uh, I just, as ever, I feel like the way out of it isn't necessarily going to be speeches and, you know, the political class is always and forever, uh, and, and like as so is Hollywood always like trying to find you know the speech that's going to turn it around. I, it's my favorite part in any movie. Like and then you know the king made the king's speech and it was all better. Or Churchill made that speech or whatever. Um, you know uh, the, the Joseph McCarthy. I'm partial to the Independence Day one with the aliens. That one's really good. See, I never I never saw that one, but like uh, I I think I've seen clips of it enough, and it's yeah, like it's. Yeah. Dude, it's a speech. It's like what Alan Iverson says about practice. Are you talking about practice? Really? It's the problem that histories and and more so films and and novels are written by writers Mm. and tend to have the narcissism (laughs) of putting so much emphasis on the power of the word to persuade the masses and and change the tides of history. Although uh, this year I was kind of heartened, and maybe it's just because I'm consuming less media, uh, but... You know, every year there's always the really terrible Thomas L. Friedman column, like that is writing the president's speech. This is what the president should say. Mm. It's like when the columnist is volunteering for job of speechwriter, that's when you know <laughs> that the, the last I- fresh idea he had was uh, three years ago, if that. Um, so I don't think we didn't see a whole lot of that. It's just, you know, we're, we're tired as a country and then it's yeah. depressing super depressing to even you know look up from whatever dungeon that i'm sitting in and occasionally glance at the tv and just sort of see people walking you know in the middle of a green zone where the only people uh, in attendance are wearing you know combat uniforms just like kind of takes the fun um out of a situation which i'm already again i'm not the target audience i'm not i'm not geared to receive the pomp and circumstance like watching cable news during this day and i had to turn it on to fox just because it's like yeah give me give me an opposition uh Mm. uh, place because it just it's all the you know the brian williams voice the 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 uh like the you know it's just the it's the majesty of the peaceful transfer of power (laughs) it's like dude not this year not this year come on it got everything kind of sucks like let's 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 mail it on a cocktail napkin, you know, get back to work. Is, uh, <laughs> my point. But, but on the other hand, I guess they're trying to convince themselves that we are nothing happened in the past four years. Yeah, we're exactly where we left off when Obama left office. Just look, even Lady Gaga is singing <laughs> and nobody's talking about American carnage. Well, it's it's a hard you can't there's going to be an incoherence associated with it. Right. So like in the same paragraph, Joe Biden was talking about, how you know, folks, <laughs> you know, we're all come, we're one America, we're all got to come together, et cetera. Okay, great. You got to do that. But then he also has to kind of like condemn the insanity that's happened. Mm. So like he wants unity, unity, unity. And also it's really important that y'all stop lying, you bunch of white supremacists. And it's like, okay, that unity message might be falling on their ears a little bit different, but again, you mm. have to do that. I mean, like a terrible thing happened and, um, and uh, a series of, kind of rifts in uh, what should be kind of, uh, you know, to 
used the worst word of the last four years, the norms. Um, uh, but like that actually turned out to mean something a little bit. And, and we have to acknowledge that and call it by its name, preferably without getting super hysterical about it. But that's the thing that's impossible about American politics and media is that just everything is geared towards the hysteria. So um, as ever, just if you're going to watch the stuff, watch it on C-SPAN um, and uh, don't listen to anyone talk about it because it's bad. I, I kind of, because of that, I think I was kind of into the pomp and circumstance. See, I, I was, I, I kind you're of the target audience. I, I, I that's good. Like, I don't watch TV, so that I'm only watching it because I'm with my uh, partner at my partner's parents' place at the moment, and they watch TV. So, like, I never would have turned this thing on, but yeah, yeah. I, there was something about it feeling like, oh man, America has like traditions and uh, and there's a history, and like, and normally I wouldn't care so much, but there was something about it that felt kind of. A little bit comforting, despite the disunion of our current state. Was it the J Lo medley? Is that what like <laughs> did that do it? Because that's 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 what got me. That's like what touched you. <laughs> kind of because I mean, this land is your land is a terrible commie song, uh, but but it's great. So I mean, you gotta you gotta take your hat off but then just to medleyfy it and i think at uh-huh. some point she even slipped in a lyric or a chorus from her own like back catalog like that's what i want to see a little spanish in the middle of it like make it weird do that um <laughs> that, that, that that makes me feel patriotic so you you started tugging at many different threads that i, I want to get into so the first thing that just i'm going to randomly pick at um I was. I, I don't like pageantry. I'm. I'm. I'm the repelled by pageantry normally. But there was something comforting about Biden being so anodyne. Is just listening to him was ambient. You're you're falling asleep, and that's a great thing. I really think most people are tired of the politics of constant outrage and feeling like your head is on broil. So 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 nodding off during a political speech is is excellent. Danger is that it also creates apathy when you start taking those traditions for granted. And then you find underneath this pomp and circumstance that give Vanessa the feels, (laughs) there is room for corruption to fester. And I'm talking about the everyday normal corruption of Washington that that Mm. has always existed. But without Trump, nobody could give a shit. Uh, So I had I've had CNN on most of the day, which, again, you know, just I'm I'm like you, Vanessa, like I don't watch this stuff. I Mm -hmm. I, uh, occasionally go on less so in the covid era, uh, but I had it on today and. There is all just like, whereas the last four years have been people shaking their damn heads at just like, I can't believe this guy. That's basically been the text of every mm-hmm. cable news segment for five years, really. Um, now it's like, I can't believe that we're talking about normal things. You know, this administration is just going to care about facts. Ah, oh, it's just such a relief. I mean, like this is verbatim stuff that they're saying. It's like, dudes, okay, I get it. We're all having a day, and and there's a <laughs> se- there's a sense of relief. I feel it too. I'm glad that Trump is gone. I I despised him as a president and as a human being. Um, uh, but like the, it gets immediately into that corruption of. Uh, you know, therefore, this other stuff is going to be good or should be taken at face value today. Um, on uh, Twitter, and you know, apologies for ever going on Twitter, but um. During Biden's speech, he made a lot of nods towards how it's important that, you know, we denounce uh, the lies that have gone on, which is true. We should denounce the lies, especially, but not only of the stop the steal uh, garbage that way too many Republicans, you know, even to this day, keep uh, banging on about. Um, And he's like, you know, we need to be grounded in facts. And, you know, I, you know, I'll bow to you that I'm going to level with you. And so I had a tweet, like just mashing those things up and at the bottom saying, um, uh, 
great. Let's hold them to that, shall we? Um, that's it. That's the tweet. Um, people screaming at me, like uh, either screaming at me just because everyone's inflamed in general. It's uh, you know, it's either like, um, well, where were you during Trump? It's like I don't know, man. Get a Google, and it's not hard to find. Uh, or you know, uh, 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 obviously uh, you're you're being soft on Biden now. It's like no, what I'm I'm trying to say that people are just uh, uh, so inflamed. But like there is a, a sense, at least from uh, some of the negative reaction, is like you know, give them a day, man. Why why do you have to be a libertarian jerk? It's like, dude, it's not even about libertarianism. It's about it's about journalismism. Like that's we should be giving uh, the people who hold power some scrutiny. And if and if they are uh, if they want to make an ethic out of telling the truth, and I and I want them to. Like one of my uh, over my shoulder is Václav Havel, and on his first speech to. Uh, January New Year's Day speech, which is a tradition in uh, then Czechoslovakia and now Czech Republic. Um, his first main speech, he said, you know, I uh, presume that you did not elect me president so that I too would lie to you. And that to me is one of the, one of the greater speeches around. Like he, he had this whole concept of living in truth or living within the truth, uh, calling things by their proper names. It was part of his dissidence. It was part of his life and it's had a profound effect on me. So don't get me wrong. If you say that you are holding truth to be a high value and ethic, great, great. Since you're a politician, you're probably lying about that to some degree or delusional to some degree. Um, but also you're laying down a marker and reminding the rest of us that we should call you on it when you do. Um, and one of the frustrations during the Obama presidency for me, because that was right around the time when the kind of the rise of fact checking became this in institutional thing, um, is that for about half of the presidency, the fact checking apparatus, I, um, or whatever I pronounce that word, um, was still aimed at like Sarah Palin. Like the lie of the year, one of those years was Sarah Palin talking about death panels. It's like, okay, I get it. She's also like, uh, you know, hosts a reality TV show in Alaska or some crap. And he's the president who, by the way, in selling Obamacare did lie a few times in, in ways that are, and, you know, eventually apologized for them. Um, so like, don't, uh, the, the exhale, the expression of relief shouldn't be, you know, now I get to go take a nap. Um, and and I think uh, what too many journalists do not understand about the audiences that that react in a hostile way towards them is some of the why of that hostility. Um, it's 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 more like you know, there's something wrong with people who react to us because they're allergic to the truth. Okay, that's that's one you know might contain some some truth in that in that uh, unkind analysis. But it's also if you're surrounded all the time by a certain tone and a tenor and a certain um, lack of consistency as applied to different sides of the debate. And you just are like, stop pretending that you're not. Um, all you have to do is just turn on the TV. I'm sitting, I, I, I was uh, uh, slacking with one of my colleagues at recent today. Like, um, you know, I, they're going to make me an OAN watcher here by the end of the day. If I have to keep watching all of this, like a uh, hagiography hey, about Joe Biden, who's been with us. I get nothing wrong with the guy, but he's been with us for 50 years mm -hmm. doing this stuff. Like he's not some kind of new savior. Um, but you know, uh, 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 I'm grateful to the democratic party that they elected a guy who's basic selling proposition is that uh, we can all maybe take a nap him first. I'm like we kind of need that right now. 
it's really interesting actually what you're what you're saying because I think there's been a lot of conversation over the past year or so around this idea of truth and different truths but I think that there hasn't been as much conversation or or, or if there has I've, I I haven't been plugged into it about this idea of tenor and what happens when you overwhelm people with a kind of tenor of conversation and when people feel like they can't get into the conversation because of that uh, environment that's created or this like mist around it and I feel like that's something that Adam and I talk about a lot and I think that Adam's introduced me a lot because I think he is a bit more it plugged into these communities that feel like they are censored and can't and can't speak out and I, I don't know I feel like that's a that that um, that observation is actually, I think, quite important. And I'd be curious to, to maybe talk a little bit more about it because I'm sure both you and Adam have a lot to say about it. One way of, of though, that I think about this, uh, and I, I was a columnist about the media. I was a media columnist. Uh, in addition to being someone who's launched a lot of different media projects uh, since the age of 22. Um, so I've kind of have noticed the way that the journalism industry considers its own work for a long time and, and trace those developments. And last summer, um, in the wake of the George Floyd protests and the uh, BLM-related protests and some of the rioting and looting that happened in the discussion thereof, um, and there was a whole like so a season of, of purging that happened at a lot of media institutions and cultural institutions, some of it quite hysterical, some of it maybe overdue reckonings of people who'd behaved badly for a long time. Um, uh, around that time, Wesley Lowry, who used to write for the Washington Post uh, and other places, um, who's a, uh, a pretty interesting journal journalist, had a um, piece that I believe was in the New York Times that was um, kind of an attack on, um, and I, I think a little bit of a straw man of an attack on the notion of objectivity in, in journalism. And he was kind of calling for, you know, taking off the gloves essentially and and having a uh, kind of a new moral underpinning of journalism, making moral judgments with journalism as we're going. And I, uh, I wrote a critique of that. He ended up coming on the Fifth Column podcast. We had a very uh, interesting and productive uh, conversation. But one of my um, uh, 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 criticisms of that way as an approach is that when you're going to spend your time at the end of that policing adjectives. You see a lot of journalists doing that already. It's like, you know, they're always upset at the Associated Press or the New York Times because they didn't um, say that X was, wasn't just sort of bad or controversial or questionable, but you didn't say it was racist or, you know, Trump says this, but you didn't call it a lie in the tweet. You have to call it a lie. Um, this sort of moral clarity uh, that they were looking for um, uh kind of gets you uh, distracted in like maximum name calling against this side uh, and in ways that are not evenly applied and very obvious to those who are not part of those sides that it's not going to be evenly applied. And for me also in the, in kind of a truth sense is that um, it's not going, chances are you're going to be led away from truth, even in the name of, Hey, I'm going to take off, you know, I'm going to get rid of both sides um, which is a very bizarre, uh, term of uh, insult term these days. Um, and I'm going to like find the one truth. Um, you know, there are plenty of philosophers out there who, who warn against the, the excesses of when you believe that there is, um, that there is just one truth that therefore doesn't need to have the same kind of scrutiny. Um, and you're going to create an echo chamber. You're, you're going to be, you know, as we've seen in the last uh, few weeks in this sort of deplatforming urge that so many people have been, have been, uh, calling forth, um, that, 
if you just kind of expel people from the public square or whatever square that you're participating in, you're not going to hear <laughs> other points of view. You're not going to hear the natural uh, kind of drag uh, uh, on on sort of normal claims. And that's actually, I think at this point, it's kind of by design. Um, uh, you know, the, people want to create a world of, of like-minded uh, morality that then is going to do journalism about how the people they've expelled are wrong uh, or bad. And that's, that's not a good recipe. That's, I'm very worried about that. My, uh, my uh, recommendation, which no one likes, um, is that how about like just doing the, your factual work better? And it's not to say that you shouldn't make moral judgments. I do it all the time. I've done it since I've been doing journalism since 1986. Um, and I've been trying to find the right words, including words that transgress normal kind of newspaperese or whatever um, to get at a, you know, more lacerating judgment. I think that's fine. But like, it's fine when you don't let that corrupt your uh, evidence finding process in such a way that uh, makes you blind or, or to the truth or, or leads you towards falsehood, which you then propagate. I think they'll be much more convincing just by getting stuff right rather than, you know, just asserting, oh, the cops let everybody in on Capitol Hill because they were racist or something. You know, you heard a lot of things like that after the Capitol Hill riots. Do your job better instead of trying to deplatform people and call them deplorable, even though many of them might well be deplorable. The problem seems to me to start when calling out other people's factuality becomes nothing more than a cudgel to use against an opponent and not really a, a, a value that we want to elevate as a standard of practice. And across the board, we see how gleefully and gloatingly people will point out and say, look at this factual error. Whether it was nefarious or, or an honest mistake, it doesn't matter. Well, quietly brushing under the rug, the same types of mistake being made in, in, in their own home. The truth is that there's just diminishing demand for actual factual reporting. This, this is not what the audience wants. They want warfare. We used to have a saying uh, back in the late 1980s, those of us of a certain age, um, and it doesn't make sense to be clear, uh, but it's that uh, perestroika begins in the home. <laughs> <laughs> um, which perestroika was in the air. It was just like the the idea uh, of of making the world a better place. Of course, that's not what perestroika was about, but it doesn't matter. It just was it sounded funny uh, when you were a jackass, eighteen year old in California. Um, but like, uh, it does kind of start there. Um, uh, I think consumers of news um, have a responsibility that way too many are not taking. They need to hold. Uh, uh, their the outlets that they support or read or watch listen to in check. They need to choose them well. They need to not cherry pick for God's sake one single little bit here um, and say, "See, Antifa did the riots. See, the Dominion machine it was controlled by the Venezuelans. Um, it's a big country. There's a lot of data points. You can always find one." Um, you know, Trump won one of those 64 cases that he took to court to challenge the election, but he was one and 63. That's a bad record. Um, you can't, you, you have a responsibility. And I know some people who are really smart or have been really smart in the past who held on these, onto these little anomalies like life rafts 
and like try to throw them at me and say, see, you use Trump derangement syndrome. Why aren't you uh, following the truth? It's like, no, dude, you are doing a really, really bad job of news consumption. And as you do a bad job of news consumption, people are making money off of you. There's an interview with um, head of, I believe, Newsmax in early November. Uh, I believe uh, Ben Smith from New York Times did one. There was another one that appeared somewhere else. And basic gist of it and you should go look at as opposed to listen to my rendering of it was like dude you know that a lot of what you're peddling right now is just garbage right and the guy's like yeah there might be um but uh there's an audience for it um and there is and there's not just an audience for it uh in terms of news but there's an audience for it in terms of the entire kind of political churn machine the grifting the 501c3s and fours who are always sending out scary emails about how the bad guys are going to eat your babies um uh the people who are running ads for those people and are you know in the mix and are on uh, cable news shows it's kind of a bad racket and um but it, it it there's a consumer driven quality to it people have a demand for their uh their biases and fears to be confirmed so it starts with the consumer doing better. It goes on, oh, goes on to the individual practitioner, um, in this case, journalist, to not get caught up in it. Um, you know, once you start getting caught up in the team exercises, I I'm a master of just atrocious analogies. Um, so the way I look at it is like you stand. There's two rivers. One's going in this direction, one's going that direction, and they're going super fast or this direction, right? Opposite directions is what I mean. And in the middle of the two rivers is a strip of land, and you're standing on the strip of land, but the the, the banks on both sides are eroding. They, they want to pull your feet in, and then you're just going to get caught up and swept away. And like it takes some doing to not get caught up. There's like a demand. People get real mad at you um, because you didn't in a moment when they were all riled up. Uh, to get caught up in the same way. And it couldn't, it, sometimes it's not even like um, uh, a question of the like technical content of your words or your work. It's that your emotional tenor wasn't strong enough. Um, you didn't emote hard enough about this terrible thing that happened. Um, and uh, so I just don't have time for you anymore. So like, uh, I think journalistic practitioners in the way that I have conceived of journalism, which is, um, you know, probably becoming outnumbered over time um, is to, to be instinctively allergic to all that stuff. You want to be able to keep your head about you. Um, hopefully you won't be late to outrages, things that are, that are right, rightfully deserving of your, of your scorn and your enthusiasms. Um, but that, you know, don't get caught into serving people's base needs. Um, you know, uh, and that's just like the very bare beginning of doing better at all this stuff, but it's really hard. And there's, and you can definitely get rewarded in short-term bursts for um, doing cheap, uh, cynical stuff out there. Um, and I, uh, and you see it uh, every day and you, you know, I saw it uh, on, on TV all day long. But this is, this is just a problem. It's all just unreflective, reactions, emotional reactions to predictable postures and stances and even styles that you're expecting to be served by by your news suppliers. You're primed to either throw endless adulation at Trump's feet or to despise him. You're primed to either worship at the altar of social justice or to fiendishly, trollishly mock it. 
and we know that this is partly at least because of 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 the distribution system being being social media prioritizing outrage and 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 binary excitable reactions and that with with without having the old guardrails of an institutionalized media so this is this is my my challenge uh this seems to be the result of the libertarian paradise we are at a place where we have vanquished most of our um old gatekeepers which is a wonderful thing for the free flow of information but it appears that in the process we've also vanquished all our old gatekeepers so how can we even hope to establish any kind of standard for our our profession that does not rely on the basest human emotions, the lowest common denominator, and the uh, social Darwinism of Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's uh, it's definitely a paradox, uh, and and I think one of the ways of dealing with this is kind of a, a way how, like how, do, how does one deal if you have a twitter account how do you deal with a twitter account everyone complains twitter is awful well, yeah it is it can be awful but also on a daily basis if you see something that comes into your feed and you're like ah i don't you know i don't like the the tone of that i don't like the world that's coming from um you should be using the mute button, people. You should be unfollowing the people who are dumping garbage into your Twitter feed. I manicure that the hell out of mine, and I, you know, never using the block button or anything like that. But I, I will notice over time who is dumping uh, this kind of uh, anti-intellectual, illiberal, um, you know, super overheated and not very useful stuff, and I will. Uh, or just who are trolls, and I don't happen to appreciate trolling. Some people do, I don't. Um, and I want trolls out of my time. I don't want to see trolling. Um, and so I have curated, um, with a little bit of effort, my feed to be like that because I still want to have use um, professionally and and also uh, uh, for uh, enjoyment um, uh, on occasion. My Twitter feed. Um, it, it takes work. Um, there's. Yeah. That was Chloe Valdery's suggestion. <laughs> Just mute people, but but you're putting a lot of emphasis on individual responsibility. Correct. Like, again, your persona starts at home, but the deck is just so heavily stacked against sanity. You all you need is this tiny little emotional trigger that turns people into these crazy partisan rage hawks, and and that's it. They're addicts now. And these people are just going to come back again and again to get their fix of how Democrats stole the election or how Purim customs are cultural appropriation. Now, I'm, not, I'm really not a, a Frankfurt schooler who thinks that people are automatons and, 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 and can and can't make their own decisions. But I'm also recognizing that we are helpless animals sometimes when when the emotional cognitive stimulation is is, is more than we can handle. That's why addiction is a real thing. So the question that I keep asking myself and now I'm asking you is in the absence of gatekeeping, how do you help people change their news consumption behavior into something more dispassionate and fact-based? I'm not making anyone change anything, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm actually meeting people who I didn't know, including you, um, uh, by using these wonderful tools and meeting uh, viewpoints and um, getting to experiment in the creation of new media in ways that were unimaginable. Uh, when I was a, a, a young critter, um, and and that's 
and that is wonderful. Those um, we used to say uh, back in the nineties. I'm just gonna give you my old man uh, phrases, but like uh, back when uh, you know uh, technology was such that everyone could at least make their own, you know, band tape. That ninety nine percent of everything sucks of of every like you know cassette or piece of music recorded music is bad. That's probably a bit too much, but it might not be. Um, and that's fine. It always was. It's just there's more people who do it. Um, and so you find uh, through the kind of flatness and the democratization of it all, you have a, a shorter circuit to finding that quality out there. And, you know, I might take some issue with like even the sense that you use the word dispassionate. I wouldn't really use that word. I, w- I what I would uh, say is that like I want better truth seeking, even if it's uh, even if it has like a, a hot headedness, even if it has big adjectives and everything like that. I just want I just want people to be better about uh, about um, approaching and disseminating truth, and that's also like um, uh, also conversing in a way that is truthful not by the letter but by the spirit what i mean is and this is something that i've i've always aimed to do in television when we started the independence on fox business channel with camille foster and kennedy with the fifth column um reason has been doing this for a long time uh bill maher is kind of the pioneer of this idea in the 1990s with his politically incorrect show um which is what would it sound like if weird but smart people talked normally about politics which is you know admitting where you don't know what you're talking about and kind of speculating here um having fun making fun of people making like inopportune jokes um that to me there's an honesty in that that is uh much preferable and connects with people in a much more visceral and, and useful galvanizing way than the kind of ritualized i'm a democratic consultant and i'm going to tell you that i think that what joe biden did today was terrible or great or whatever like there's there's something dishonest about the professionalized ritual of media that could be cut through with a less factually perfect but more honest approach towards media and these new technology tools help us discover this what is the podcast world that we live in now if not you know the last loophole did y'all see the uh, associated press headline from like four days ago saying you know uh specialist warned that extremists have found a free speech loophole podcasts <laughs> <laughs> loophole yes uh it makes you want to start a new uh, podcast called loophole um but like the the rise of the podcast world which i'm super late in getting to Mm. As as a certainly as a listener, uh, but even as a participant, started doing it in 2016. After my wife like bugging me for 10 years to <laughs> to jump in, like what's well, a podcast? Um, but like uh, that's part of that world. People appreciate that kind of approach and sense of of honesty about it, uh, and uh and that and that includes like hey i want you i want you to be listening and interacting with me even though you totally love trump and i totally don't like that's fine that why should that be an impediment to anything um you know and, and we're always dealing with uh listeners like this and it's a great community that have ha- has arisen out of that so i think that you can um, build an audience for this kind of stuff. And you can even curate your feeds and and attract like-minded people um, through just sort of being disciplined about um, how you interact with and provide information 
two people. Um, I it's a little bit utopian sounding or pie in the sky. I'm from California. I'm a hippie. This is what happens. <laughs> um, techno hippie. Uh, but uh, but uh, techno hippie just doesn't understand tech at all. By the way, but um, but yeah, it's a, it's a techno hippie troglodyte. It's a it's a problem. It's a challenge, and it's eternal. And it sure beats for me uh, what I remember in my lifetime, which is you know there was a time I used to be a typesetter. You know, uh, they, we there was a time when we needed typesetters. Holy crap! <laughs> um, and now we just really, really don't. And uh, and that has for the most part been a boon and created more interesting conversations. It just doesn't absolve us of our responsibility as consumers to demand better uh, and more interesting information, reward the people who are doing that, and then also um, be better citizens ourselves. Um, you know, the, the theory of democracy in media has always been to create the better citizen. I'm less interested in that as a, like a conscious project, but, um, but that's, that's how we're able to endure um, all this you know, awful, messy freedom. I take your point about dispassion. You're right, it's, it's the wrong word. I, I would love for people to connect more with their anger. I thrive on hatred myself. It's a wonderful thing. Where it gets creepy is when you see those passions completely untethering people from reality. I can't tell you how many people whom until days ago I still greatly admired wrote last night on their Facebook, just wait, he's not going to be confirmed. Just oh, wait, God. the feds are coming. Trust the plan. So my perspective is I'm seeing objectively brilliant people losing their fucking minds and I feel totally helpless. Sorry, Dom. I, 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 sorry to step on your frazzled. Oh, no. Go ahead. I'm, I'm doomed for today. <laughs> no, I really want to talk. I really want to ask Matt about this. I mean, so I will admit that it is refreshing to hear someone who's pro tech because I've just been sub submerged in anti tech rhetoric for the, you know, for the last few years and so it is nice to remember that, like hey tech has good qualities and it's really a positive uh has positives too so i'm not i'm not saying that i'm not happy to hear it but i'm also a little puzzled because like we've gone through this kind of like the many layers of the issues at hand upon the the consumer of the news upon the producer of the news and there is a big part of this puzzle which is the distributor and and that is tech and we can even take podcasting as an example because like big tech is not making money from podcasts right like only by the the we are lu so lucky to exist because Apple kind of forgot about us and hasn't like really put money into Apple podcasts in like over 10 years, but it's just like, okay, we're not going to touch it, but we're also not going to like disturb it. And so uh, like by, by the good graces of Apple's does this whole ecosystem exist but it's not like we are um like the podcast ecosystem is all about these like conversations it's not about making getting a lot of eyeballs and making a lot of money and so when i think about what's wrong with journalism it's it's not the podcasting world it's all of the things that are visual that are being shared that are going viral and i think there's this whole business model that is incentivizing all the wrong things and i just it just doesn't feel like you can extricate that part of the of the puzzle from from everything that's going wrong there's always going to be incentives for um uh venality it's always going to there's always going to be market for it always um and it doesn't matter 
who's peddling it. I was spending, or like, what what is the 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 latest technology to do it? I spent a lot of the weekend, as one does, reading um, the 1947 Hutchins Commission report on a free and responsible press, um, which is fascinating subject, but of, of another time. But it was a uh, an elite um, attempt beginning in 1944 so with you know the rise of you know fascism is all around us and you know wh- where did we go soft you know what 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 did we do in our media diet that that produced this moment you can see why i was freshening my uh history on this because it's kind of, there's some interesting parallels and um and the conclusions that they came up with are like you know these new technologies <laughs> and all these all these tabloid newspaper values mm. they're they're just going for sensation uh they're using hate speech uh it's very uh it's frequently racist and uh maybe people should like slow down and um stop seeking sensation it's it's funny um uh and it's it's perennial and they're also that was at the dawn of of radio just before tv kind of takes off um and uh and you can feel a sense of visceral horror at mass media Mm -hmm. um and that and and there's a theory i think it's uh, called gresham's law or close to it um that uh, when a media becomes mass instead of kind of you know liturgical top down, uh, then it's going to crowd out quality. It's going to be more hard for quality to rise, um, and uh, and it's, it's it's a fear, and it's a fear that's driven in part, in my view, um, of a uh, both a mistaken uh, and a paternalistic sense of the audience as vessels. Um, the people are beaming in their messages to these vessels and activating them to go into a direction. Um, you know, the the, the uh, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds was the 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 Big Bang theory for a lot of people um, because there's a whole myth about how everyone went crazy and started jumping off buildings and stuff. Didn't happen that way, but people thought of that the frankfurt school of, of 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 criticism and theory uh really saw culture as a sort of transmission device and to activate the proletariat in one direction or another i don't think that's how we consume media i mean you're talking about uh you're expressing your own sense of dismay at uh at the things that are produced by technology my i have a 12 year old daughter and a five-year-old daughter you know what the 12 year old's been doing sea shanties <laughs> <laughs> on tiktok sea shanties on on tiktok like crazy and it's like super creative and fun and bizarre and like pulling this old culture back in the new and some of it makes money and most of it doesn't and who cares it's this great creative thing especially during a pandemic they don't get out much and it's a it's a nice way for them to do it and as far as like making money dude tell joe rogan he's not making money Bro's making a lot of money, uh, and Spotify is making money off podcasts. Uh, it's it's happening. Of course, most of the stuff does not and and will not, and it has ever been thus. I mean, I was a part of the the blogging revolution after nine uh, eleven, which was really fun to take part in. Again, as someone who doesn't understand technology even a little bit, um, but it was a it was a an initial rush around the usual. Um, gatekeeping in media, and it had a very, very liberating effect. Um, and, you know, it also brought forth a lot of crap and a lot of stupid pathology. A lot of people got captured by their audiences. Lord knows we've seen a lot of that go around since in every fora. Um, but I don't think that, that the way to solve the crap problem um, is to uh, is to kind of like uh, 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 throw your hands up in the air. Um, but uh, at some point, there's going to be a lot of crap that's consumed. There's going to be a lot of uh, politics is 
um, uh, I would argue, kind of fundamentally structured as a pretty crappy business. It's the you know, it's the organization of hatreds. That's really what it is. Um, and and there's all this uh, kind of uh, argle bargle around it. It's not a very noble thing. Um, that's with us. And so we live in this fallen world. What do we do? Uh, and how do we respond? I just want to make sure that we don't respond in ways that are going to legally restrict. Um, the speech of, of people or their opportunities to speak. Um, and then culturally, uh, I don't want um, us to respond as individuals by seeking to banish people uh, off of places or like tat- there's so much tattling going on. Mother Jones magazine, it's a, you know, the, not a sister magazine, but they're in the same publishing category of opinion magazines. The editor there, who I know, Clara Jeffrey, uh, was like encouraging her uh, Twitter followers to call up uh, their cable providers to tell them to uh, get rid of Fox News on their cable channels. You can hate Fox News, it's fine. But like, what a weird thing. It's a journalist encouraging people to call up uh, and have, have you know, tattling on another journalistic uh, company. That was just, it's, it's unheard of. Uh, Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough uh, were like looking in the camera and saying, Facebook, you know, you are, are you're a disgrace to humanity, and you be, should be shut down. It's like what what's going on with people? What that censorious instinct um, is going to lead to bad things, uh, is, and in the short term, it's going to lead to those companies that are Apple and that are Amazon that have these sort of choke points. Um, they're going to be uh, put under political pressure to exercise them, and that is what we are seeing right now. I don't want it to become legal pressure. Um, but the first thing that's going to happen is that it's going to be cultural pressure that will bring the legal pressure. I don't want that. I want a culture of free speech, free speech and free exchange, not kicking people off places. You're taking me to one of the points that I want to ask you about. So I am having this ongoing argument with a number of friends, including Vanessa's partner, about the this horribly termed issue of cancel culture and whether or not that's something that should be you know, of concern. <laughs> and one of his arguments is that ostracism can be a great tool to resolve conflicts and and draw lines of permissible behavior without involving the state. So he's almost making a libertarian defense of cancel culture. My perspective in contrast is that of a, a, I guess, culturist, somebody who puts a lot, maybe too much emphasis on culture, like the authors that I accuse of, of, of overemphasizing the power of the written word, I perhaps put too much emphasis on the power of cultural institutions and the free dissemination of ideas to to shape society. So for me, the moment the prevalent culture becomes too, like you said, censorious and tattletale and 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 witch seeking, then you start losing a lot of the things that that make a society vibrant, alive, um, dynamic, and just you know worth living in. So as a libertarian, where do you stand on this quote unquote cancel culture debate? I try not to use the word, uh, the phrase, uh, for reasons that you kind of alluded to there. Um, what I don't want to see in the world is a um, pylons of people that are uh, that are not based in in anything resembling due process. You don't have to like adjudicate every single claim in the world. You can have an opinion about a bad guy being bad. I have an opinion that Ted Cruz, if he shows up in public anywhere, I'd love to see him booed. For the rest of his life, like I mean, like just booed. There, there's, there's Ted Cruz at the football game. Boo! I think that'd be great. I think he's a shameful person. 
um, and he behaved badly. I look forward to him losing his next election and treated like a pariah. I think shame is good. It's a free association, right? For sure. You boycotts. But I thought libertarians love the Freedom Caucus. I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, interesting, interesting group of people. They might be part of the Patriot Party uh, sooner rather than later. <laughs> but um, uh, so ostracism uh, is fine, uh, especially when it's directed at people who are actually powerful, who have done things that you don't need to do a lot more research on. Ted Cruz and his behavior during Stop the Steal, we got to handle on it. You know, there might, there might be some other thing that comes up, but like we saw what he did in plain daylight. We don't, we're not depending on someone spreading a story on Twitter that we can't fact check. I know too many people um, whose lives have been um, really hurt badly by uh, online swarms. Um, and these are people who are not powerful, uh, who are not uh, uh, public officials in, in any way, shape or form. Um, who were uh, accused of things um, uh, that grossly distorted whatever the root thing was that they've done, and their lives and their businesses were ruined. Um, that, to me, is bad behavior. The piling on um, uh, of the sort of online swarms, especially against randos um, or just people who are not um, necessarily sticking their necks out um, uh, as, as public figures, uh, and done by people, including way too many journalists, for in, in the last uh, season, in particular over um, over the summer in the post George Floyd moment. Um, you know, you should back up your accusations as a journalist. You shouldn't be egging people on. You shouldn't be egging your followers on to go like be mean to people and to drag people on, on, a, on a few occasions in which uh, uh, I've had disagreements, or the Fifth Column podcast uh, has had disagreements with people. We always, first of all, try not to talk about it much in public because it's boring. But um, to the extent that we do, we're like, hey, look, anyone who like likes us, do not be a jerk to this person at all. Like just that in, in my name, don't do that. It's no good. Um, there's a, you know, there's a, a people who like tattle on people's bosses for things that they do that have nothing to do with their work, but like could be construed badly. Um, that's the type of behavior that I, that I don't want to see. Um, so, um, you know, is, is there a culture associated with it? Yes, there is a culture. I mean, um, uh, and, and it's one of kind of, um, the, so who came up with a uh, really good, um, uh, phrase, uh, it's like outrage spelunking, but it's better than that. But it's basically, you know, dumpster diving for the worst possible interpretation of someone um, at, at a possible worst moment, elevating that as their defining characteristic, spreading that around, and then, um, you know, either trying explicitly to get them fired or, you know, defrocked in, in such a way. That's all disgraceful behavior. Um, and, and, and part of my uh, shame culture is to shame people who do that in ways in which it's provably false what they're saying. Like they are the ones making up a lie about a person um, and, and not being uh, generous. And yeah, it's, it, to say that's not with us is like, you're not paying attention, nor are you uh, taking into consideration the chilling effects that it has on free speech of normal people, um, people who aren't public figures. I've been a public figure, you know, in a small and insignificant way since 1986, I'm used to speaking in public. Um, so if I criticize the local initiative at my public schools here, my daughter's public schools, um, to uh, combat uh, white supremacy in their in their words or segregation in their words, um, I do not 
get upset when people call me a racist um, because I can say that they're being ridiculous and I can go back at them. But I know so many parents in this area, and I've written at length about this, who are terrified to issue even the smallest criticism at any number of initiatives the local school system is doing because the local school system has weaponized the word racist against just people who are participating in the public process. Is that cancel culture at some point? Like, who cares what we call it? But it's a thing that happens where people are being um, tarred with the most possible toxic uh, uh, deal killers of, of, uh, of characterizations about what they do. Um, and if they're not made of at least some Teflon or used to that process, they'll just, instead of like getting anywhere near a public conversation, they'll say, you know what, I'm just not going to, I'm just going to sit on my hands and not talk. That's bad. I want those people to participate in the system. So I will go into those places and um, uh, without being a jerk, I will say what I believe without fear of myself doing it because it pisses me so off so much the intimidation of what they're trying to do to other people. I just quickly want to argue that we do need a name for it. Just one that hasn't been made icky by Trump. And the reason is that we're dealing with something very, I think, specific to our current situation. I mean, canceling itself obviously isn't new. Humans always had the desire to find their pitchforky moments. It's, it's, it's a natural inclination, but it's just easier to do now. The ease with which you can chase people out of polite society and shame them and bring opprobrium upon them is new. The opportunities for doing it are so many, the barriers are non-existent, and the cost is so low that why shouldn't people chase that rush of smoking out heretics? And I might be wrong, but I'm guessing that most people who partake in, in this don't really think that they're purging society of evil or genuinely think that they're on, on the path to build a utopian society, whether Trumpian or social justice or whatever flavor. And I think most people do it because they're bored because there's nothing to do, especially now during the pandemic. And by chasing people out, you suddenly feel like you, you're doing something. You're connected to something bigger than you. For the first time in your pathetic, miserable life, you feel like you're making a difference. It's just so fun, and it's so easy. There's a, um, I think, a correct observation about um, you know, what the pandemic has done to communication in all, in all of us, uh, um, in that all these Zoom calls, all, the, all these sort of we're not in the same room conversations. Um, for many of us, that was like all we had for a few months there. You know, the spring in New York was, uh, you know, I'm, I, 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 I'm sure my brain I, as a defensive mechanism is going to just blank it out at some point if it hasn't already. It was so bad. I mean, I, we were cut off from the world. My kids didn't have, didn't see their friends for three months. Uh, didn't see kids. I mean, I remember <laughs> the first play date my five-year-old had with a friend of hers. And it was just like these grasping baby gorillas, like trying to figure out how to walk again. It was uh, heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. So I think adults have that version too. You know, if it's really hard to pick out the worst thing about a person and to hold it up like a scalp or something, uh, wave it around uh, in public to applause when they're sitting across from you at the dinner table. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of hard to do that. The, the, being with a human is a mediating experience. You have to like temper things unless you're just like some kind of Irish hothead from 
Boston, um, you know, or whatever, but like, like it's, you have to like calm it down and figure out how to live and, and, and work in the world. Um, and, and that's normal. I, I think a lot of the, a lot of these things that happened over the summer, there were like workplace revolts, uh, places where there, no one had gone to the workplace for a long time. So yeah, you can, you can pull that Slack message out and you can say, see, and like, you haven't been able to, you know, pick the, the knit out of your cubicle uh, mate's hair for so long you've you've just sort of forgotten how to, to deal to deal with uh, people on a, on a human level um, I think uh, I think all that's part of that but I think you're really right about that kind of uh, rush um, element of it it's just like it must be really thrilling I talk about this a lot with my uh, good friend Nancy Rommelman who's a great journalist um, who experienced this in Portland uh, long story boiled down to her she had a podcast that was misconstrued and at, because of that our, her husband's uh, uh whole coffee business in portland um was wiped out and it's just like it boggles the mind then it happened very very fast swarm swarms of people um but uh she and i've talked about this a lot like what exactly happened there if you can talk about it brief story she had a uh, a only a five episode as long as the last uh video blog series um, that was launched in uh, kind of uh, amidst the the Me Too explosion of things, um, in which she, a journalist, and uh, her friend Leah McSweeney, who's an uh, this interesting character who's on Real Housewives of New York as a character, an entrepreneur, clothes designer, uh, weird person, friend of mine. Um, they launched it to talk, kind of like try to talk through honestly the differences between a Harvey Weinstein scenario, which is just this horrible ogre doing awful things and abusing his power and um and i forget the name of the dude who like you know had the one bad date with a girl uh -oh. who wrote wrote i'm sorry yeah um so they were like sort of trying, trying to say hey look let's let's dial down the hysteria and talk in ways that also give women their own or whoever their own um sense of kind of ownership um and their uh their own uh, agency about their so decisions to rape apologists. Yes. Rape apologists. And the problem also, and that this is where I, I come in and I, I uh, am part of the blame is that they're like, what should we call our podcast? I'm like, how about me? Neither. Oh no. And, oh, <laughs> oh no. Which is a joke, but then they took it and then like, and she was in Portland and Portland, Oregon is not currently known for being super tolerant of deviant, kind of discussions of things and so it was just like rape apologist nancy rommelman is so bad let's drag her husband's coffee roasting business mm. um and that's what happened um in a short order and like it's all closed down uh <laughs> he's moved to mexico last i heard like it happened fast wow. um and uh and you know I, I bring this up um uh it's an interesting story itself you can go uh, uh google it uh but also uh like she and i've always marveled at like we we lack that gene mm. that thing of like piling on saying when's what's her face landing remember that from like six years ago i forget what the uh the, the story was but it was like a like a, a a publicity executive had had tweeted something bad about aids in africa and and justine when's justine landing right while well, she, she was tweeting while she was on the plane yeah and everyone just dragged the hell out of her and i think she ended up losing her job but like the joy that people take in in piling on that i don't have that i could never have that. i don't even know what that's like and we marvel over that and like one of the and one of it is that it just must be pleasurable at some point and i'm sure it packs extra 
visceral pleasure. And also you've been using the tools of how to do that uh, in a time when you don't see your fellow human beings, you don't have mediating conversations and you're spending all your time online, just like looking for crap to doom scrolling and looking for crap to be outraged by. So yeah, it's with us. It's ugly. Um, But I think there's also, and this goes to our previous conversation about journalism and tech and all that stuff. And, and podcast, I think there's a tangible backlash to it. People are uh, are rewarding those of us who kind of say, like, dude, let's be sensible. Let's have a sense of due process and proportionality. Let's not be afraid to have a normal conversation. Let's not silence ourselves. Um, and let's laugh at the, at the assholes. Um, I think that there is a market for that and uh, and almost necessity for the, those of us who can engage in that to do at least some of it. I want to go back to something that you said earlier when you were talking about the kind of the public discourse that you've been involved in around your school. And and I read an article that you wrote in the New York Post kind of talking about the the heated conversations that have been happening in your school, specifically around a kind of diversity initiative um, that had been somewhat controversial with some of the parents. Um, and, and your point in the piece was that, you know, the language and the rhetoric being used was kind of... <laughs> putting people in a tough position whereas if they objected they were basically deemed racist and and i found it interesting because you brought up that they opened up their opening slide to the to the uh, parents with you know images of segregation of the past and and i do i've been seeing this i come from an urbanism background and i have been seeing uh the kind of employment of history in particular uh our american racial history actually being employed quite in a quite sophisticated manner. And I'm thinking specifically of, for example, last year in Minneapolis, there was a, a reform movement to kind of uh, introduce different types of zoning, a zoning reform that would uh, potentially create more equitable outcomes in Minneapolis. And they, and they actually did a really um, in-depth public engagement campaign and, and taught a lot of the folks there in Minneapolis about the history of redlining in the city, about the history of urban planning decisions that have created a very, unequal and inequitable city. And so I had been thinking about that as a positive way of going about doing public engagement and potentially creating more equitable outcomes. But from reading your piece in the New York Post, I kind of started to see the potential downsides, I guess, of that approach. And I was wondering if you could just speak a little bit more to that, uh, expound more on, on what happened and and w- why it was kind of problematic. It, it, has, it has some interesting things to say. Like for one, um, I would have uh, welcomed more discussion of New York's actual history, <laughs> including, uh, you know, in this neighborhood, a friend of mine named Tim DeRoche wrote a really good book last year um, about the history of kind of school map drawing um and and it's overlap like literal overlapping or overlaying with racism and redlining yeah. and other things like that uh and it's it's very very eye-opening and uh that is apparently also the case in new york city including brooklyn and the district that i live in would have loved to hear much more about that because it's local history that's germane to the point mm-hmm. um i don't need to see bull connor's fire hose as part of that demonstration because that's bull connor it's that's not new york uh, that's 1950s. It's not 19. What year are we in? It's not 2018 <laughs> or whenever that process started. Um, uh, it's it definitely a play to emotion. Um, there is uh, uh, what's the 
name of the podcast, Nice White Parents, mm-hmm. um, is a podcast the New York Times has done about, um, and like the title kind of gives away the vibe of it, uh, which is that no matter what, Whatever the problem of racism is in in New York schools, we can blame the nice, the good liberal white parents for they're the problem. They're the problem for staying in the school system. They're the problem for leaving the school system. And it actually starts with a school that my uh, uh, oldest uh, daughter goes to, which is kind of funny. Um, but uh, uh, but anyways, the, in in that and in some of the commentary about that, they talk about um, how Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York, um, resisted for way too long in the eyes of many people of using the word segregation or segregated to talk about New York schools. And I thought, and I always found that funny, um, like uh, funny, uh, curious, uh, why so many people were focused on using that word. Um, And in fact, he did not use that word in the first three or four years of his administration. Um, For me, segregation uh, immediately conjures up Bull Connor. It conjures up, uh, there is a legal system that is designed to make sure that the people that we don't like for their immutable characteristics or class characteristics are excluded by force of law from a thing. That's a, that's a heavy, terrible thing. Um, that's all over the country. It's from Southern California where I'm from. Um, uh, it's happened in New York and certainly happened in the South. That is a terrible thing. That is not what the situation is in Brooklyn schools in the year 2018. And, um, and so for a long time, I thought there was sort of a sideline, but then I began to realize, no, actually, there's a reason why activists focused on that language. Once we establish the baseline that what we have is segregation, that the New York has, in the words of, uh, of uh, UCLA, uh, uh, thing that came out in 2014, the most segregated school system in the, in the United States, that, ha- that has emotional impact. Like, God, we're doing segregation? We got to stop it. Um, I want at all times the words to be accurate. Um, I think that they uh, can be well bad enough um, without uh, without engaging in hyperbole, particularly in um, in public discussions. In the public discussions that I participated in, and I and I have stopped because I'm exhausted by it and you know, pandemic and whatever. Um, and also, you know, I've written about it, and and the decision points of their kids have kind of passed us. Um, but I saw again and again and again um, people. Uh, literally called racists or or heavily intimated that they were racist just for asking normal questions that should be asked as part of whatever change that they were doing. Um, the language is part of it. It sort of softened the ground for making these changes and like and making it seem like if you were against it, then you're obviously trying to fight for white privilege. I can't tell you how many people who uh, accuse me of of like you know fight being scared of black people or something. Um, you know, my daughter literally goes to the blackest school around us uh, on purpose. Um, but like, uh, but that people have been conditioned by this sort of language. And by the ritualistic shaming, the, the, the head of the Department of Education in New York um, says, you know, if you oppose this stuff, I'm going to call you racist by name. Um, and they have. They've like a woman saying things at a meeting, uh, uh, just, you know, engaging in public participation. Boop, there's a uh, uh, someone recorded on an iPhone. The chancellor puts it up, calls her a racist. And like, is she ever going to go to a meeting again? And what she said wasn't racist, by the way, too. And I, and I saw this again and again and again. It's crazy. Do you remember what she said? Um, I don't, um, I I do remember a a guy who was accused of, uh, uh, by a, a shakingly angered, uh, uh, community education board guy, 
the guy, the guy who's a Swedish uh, or uh, uh, Scandinavian parent of some sort, who prefaced his comment with, I totally support this new equity desegregation plan that you're doing. Um, it's going to be great. Um, uh, I should mention, he says, that my daughter didn't get any of the nine schools that she picked as part of your solution to this problem. And she got sent to a faraway school, which is going to be a pain in our ass. But like, hey, we support this. But my question for you, he says to them, is what are you going to tell other parents who, when they get these results, um, aren't happy and think about leaving? This is a totally important question to ask if you are changing um, the admissions system, which is an admittedly crazy admission system in New York, um, in such a way that you are going to make and alienate uh, parents and, and the students of where they wanted to go to school, um, right? Um, that actually came up long after this meeting. It turns out that uh, the for the first time in a decade, the percentage of people uh, or you know, the admissions uh, went down. Um, people left the system because they didn't get their choices. So he asked that question and person there shaking. It's like, you know, you're sitting here, you're asking me, what am I going to do about white flight? I can't even believe that question. And the guy's like, no, no, no. I mean, it's not, that's not what I like this. I like what you're doing. I'm just asking. And he kept stammering. And then someone else would come in and pile in and say, Hey, look, you know, you, you can go into your second home and you can, you can travel and go anywhere you want to, but you know, other people of color. And then the, uh, the uh, superintendent of school is just like, you know, this idea that black and brown kids can't learn the same way that others is just, you know, I can't believe that we're hearing this. And the guy's like, I didn't didn't say any of this, right? I was in contact with this guy because I described him in, in my piece, in my piece, and he found me afterwards. He moved out of Brooklyn because he felt like Brooklyn was calling him a racist. He was totally scarred from this, and he's not a racist. He was asking a totally normal public policy question, but the entire the entire way that it's set up, this discussion is pointed in that direction, um, and it's infuriating. Um, because it's that is precisely such a loaded um, uh, and momentous word. And who lives in Brooklyn? Who chooses on purpose to live in Brooklyn? Is it someone's like, God, I where's the red pen? I want to redline me some minorities. That's not who lives here. That's not it's 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 a bananas idea that this is this is uh, like a conscious or even a kind of an unconscious set of preferences. Um, so it drives me to distraction to see, and I'm totally open to like, hey, look, there's a local history. The reason why people like this school instead of this school, and this boundary over here was drawn at this point. I want to hear about all that because uh, chances are it's going to be super nasty and bad. New York has a real uh, a bunch of set of, of really uh, kind of nasty racist histories that should be exhumed. But to bull Connor it, to desegregate it, to white privilege uh, uh, or you know white supremacy, uh, things on a daily basis. We got um, emails after the January 6th Capitol Hill riot from both principals, the DOE head, the superintendent, all of them talking about white supremacy. Um, okay, all of you? <laughs> Did I need four emails about white supremacy to describe guy with a QAnon shaman guy? I mean, it, there was a lot of awful people, uh, no doubt, definitely some white supremacists based on everything I've read and seen there. Um, is it the lead paragraph in the email from the school? Um, maybe it is, and, uh, and that's fine. But if you, uh, getting back to your uh, tenor and tone question, if you are skeptical about any of that stuff, you were deliberately made to feel not welcome. 
again, I don't care. I don't need to be welcomed. I'm a public person and I, I'm used to um, having ideas that uh, are not in the majority of where I live. That's totally normal. The The thing that, that irks me is when basic language is used incorrectly um, and then used in a way to hurt people who are not public figures and to discourage, actively discourage their participation. It's the public policy equivalent to strategic lawsuits against public participation, slap lawsuits, which are used by big business to or politicians or whatever to like try to silence people uh, from criticizing them in some ways. This is the equivalent, and I think it's bad. I mean, the 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 example that's more uh, 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 common that we've noticed from our listeners of the fifth column, because Camille Foster is an idiosyncratic character, to be sure. Um, uh, he's he always encouraging people to, in his words, be brave and call bullshit. He doesn't have a lot of time for the uh, the anti-racism uh, industry of the Ibram X. Kendi uh, school, Robin D'Angelo, the white fragility stuff, and, and the way that that's being sort of taught. Um, and it's being taught in a lot of like corporate settings. We've gotten at least 200 emails from people saying like, you know, HR pulled us in and said, we have to have this workshop and read uh, white fragility or read uh, how to be an anti-racist. Um, and they talk about the process of it. And these are people who aren't walking around with like, uh, you know, Camp Auschwitz shirts. Um, you know, there are listeners to the fifth column, which is, uh, um, you know, it doesn't brand itself as an anti-racist show, but it's a show of people who don't like racism, uh, for sure. And uh, that's just <laughs> the appeal isn't the opposite. Um, and uh, and they're just kind of bewildered. And th those of, of them who like would sort of bring things up like, hey, is, isn't this book kind of garbage? Which both of them from everything I've heard are kind of are. Um, or just sort of like ask a follow-up questions there. And these are people who work in the military. This is people who work in jobs at companies that they created in some cases. It's crazy. Um, it's just like, you know, you can't talk. You can't do this. One, in at least one case, maybe two, a person got fired even for sort of like bringing up mild pushback on some of the claims that were made there. So that's how you do it. You fire a guy for like saying, I, really? Um, at a, at a meeting about, uh, you know, how to, uh, behave and talk in public and you know, like some of the, we've seen some of the sort of talking points like, um, uh, of, you know, don't, don't push back against these arguments or against these people that would be sort of like a rude or a, an a, aggression of some sorts. Those are the people going to get radicalized. Of course. I mean, not even radicalizing the putting on a hat and being in a, uh, a crazy person and spend the next 10 years in the federal pokey. But just like, um, you know, a person who gets fired for that is going to be pretty committed to the anti-woke team for a good long time and very um, open to messages from those who are talking about that stuff all the time. Um, I don't think that's productive. I'll just say, so from my experience of, of, of corporate racial sensitivity trainings, and, and I've been through a few under different employers, it was one thing that really shocked me. It was that until that time, I was sure that nobody uses the term microaggression unironically. <laughs> it shocked me to be disabused of this notion. I, that, uh, I'll just say, um, uh, to, to put a button on it, that a lot of people have experienced some pretty crazy HR uh, over the past uh, 12 months, and the stories would shock uh, uh, the average listener, if it hasn't happened to them already. And if you think that that's going to produce better political outcomes, 
Um, I think that's a bad prediction. Um, how do you, the problem with all of this is that, I mean, I mean, there are so many problems, but one of the things that makes it so difficult is that you can see how all those events are also inciting crazy reactions on the right, not just reactions, it's inciting a whole industry that feeds off it. When you see, forget about Trump, Tucker Carlson, Hannity, Holly, Holly, because he was dropped by his publisher, talk about cancel culture, you start losing track of, of what the hell we're talking about. It's calling every single thing cancel culture, seeing every single act of disapproval or groups showing their, their disdain and anger as cancel culture. You can see how this is getting exploited by the industry on the other side. My question to you is, how do you reach some kind of level-headed balance when reporting and talking about these issues? How do you draw those lines? I mean, the, the, fam the famous uh, quote from Orwell, right, is uh, to see the nose in front of one's face requires a constant struggle, um, which I've always taken to heart and uh, ha have enjoyed. But uh, an important part uh, as like maintenance for me is to get the hell away from the political machine get off of the Twitter, get off of work, spend weekends, unless I want to work, um, but like weekending and hanging out with human beings. And the extent to which that we mistake uh, Twitter or whatever our social media is of choice with the real world is astonishing. And like the only, to put it in a political context, the only Democratic candidate who seemed to understand that was Joe Biden. Um, right. Everyone was rushing, running to be the queen or king of, of tw the Twitter sensibility. That ain't the Democratic Party sensibility, son. Um, you're not going to win elections by competing for the woke trophy. Um, that's just like that still seems crazy to a lot of people. I take a lot of heart in um, the kind of basic common sense of a lot of this stuff. Like we would like to believe because we are ourselves too much in consuming uh, journalism and reaction and all this kind of stuff that um, that there are these those you know those two parallel rivers again uh, going in opposite directions and having completely different ideas about let's say the protests over the summer not really most people are like I understand the protest that cop killing was bad I mean it's a universal uh, you know the killing of George Floyd was awful nobody defends it um, uh, that was bad. Uh, there's too much, uh, use of force in, in policing in this country. Most people agree with that. Um, there's a legacy of racism that affects that. Most people agree with that. The, the demonstrations are justified. Um, uh, most people agree with that too. And understandable. Um, they might have some, you know, questions about the hypocrisy about sort of social distancing and masks, but let's put that aside for a moment. And most people think that looting is bad too. It's not hard. That's a totally normal thing to think. Like, I get it why they're protesting. That killing was bad. I, they should be able to protest. And also don't just like bash in windows and burn stuff. That's a pretty normal thing. We act like or we experience it as it's not normal. So when you unplug and talk to normal people and your family or your friends or whatever, I live in Brooklyn. It's not a normal place. It's a place that voted probably 93% you know, for Joe Biden. I haven't look, looked at my neighborhood recently, but it was 91 or two for Hillary Clinton. So it's pretty lopsided, you know? Um, and like people find all this stuff crazy too. Like the, they're not spending their entire day days online. Uh, so it keeps me uh, uh, pretty grounded. I mean, the, uh, the Capitol Hill riots as well, like just uh, the stop the steal thing. Um, so much of the things that we uh, argue about and and are, have these fraught public um, things about just like are self-evidently 
crazy to people. Like it's for most people, like if you're forced to go through an HR, you know, or struggle sessions with Robin D'Angelo and Ibrahim McKendi, it's like, um, that's odd. That's a weird way to spend your time. Like most people have that reaction um, in private amongst themselves. So um, uh, one way to keep your head is to unplug it um, and to engage in conversation and realize that there's still some common sense out there. And, you know, and also to be fine when you're outnumbered, just like it's, or if you don't have a team, it's great. Um, I, more and more, I find myself, especially in the wake of a, an emotional election and Mm -hmm. inauguration and stuff, you know, people are always like, they want in an accusatory way, they want you to profess what team you're on or to show some sense that, uh, that you're on the right side of X issue. And more and more, I'm like, I'm not here to help you with that. (laughs) Uh, you can find you can find out what you want on me. I'm uh, totally public, but I am not here to reassure you that I'm on the right team. <laughs> in fact, in many ways, I'm probably not. And good luck trying to figure that out. I mean, having that 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 that, that backbone, like the confidence, plus the being surrounded with people that you can actually engage in that way, is really the problem. But but that's a bigger sociological problem. That's the David French argument of what's driving us apart. But putting that aside I, I know we were coming out against the 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 your out time so i'm just going to throw two questions you can deal with them allocate your time whatever way you want um quick summary of the of the the trump era i just read a kevin williamson article that summarized it as uh, beautifully as um a, was it a, a death of a salesman uh, presented by lenny riefenstahl which i thought was <laughs> i i can't i can't top uh, kevin williamson's one-liners it is ever thus um <laughs> so if you prefer here's a different question Heading into a Biden administration, what do you see as the glaring, potentially dangerous blind sides on the left and the right? Uh, you know, I wrote a piece in 2016 in October of that year um, about how both major parties had totally given up on um, even kind of half-hearted rhetorical uh, concern over the size of government and the size of spending and especially the size of debt. Um, uh, and deficits uh, in the run-up to the baby boomers retiring and all these promises coming due. Um, so imagine if I was concerned about that in 2016, mm. um, seeing what that's like now. Um, you know, Trump behaved exactly as I thought he would, um, and then the pandemic came, and uh, and now we have Biden, and there's really just no coalition left or you know even a any kind of sizable block left talking about any, any of that that's going to bite us in the rear end i am uh i feel strongly i know that uh that a lot of people feel strongly in the other direction and i hope to be proven i hope they're right and i'm wrong um well republicans do become deficit hawks on during democratic administration I, so i don't even think that's going to happen and to the extent that they will people will laugh them rightly so out of the building you know mick mulvaney in 2015 wrote an op-ed for the washington wall street journal saying and it was about you know some temporal spending bill in that moment saying if we increase the deficit by even a dollar right now um republicans will lose uh the uh, the public will lose confidence in Republicans and they'll be right to, we won't have credibility next time. Mick Mulvaney, 18 months after writing that was now, you know, chief of staff and he had 17 different jobs in the administration. And he's saying, you know, there's not really any appetite for reducing the deficit. So we're just going to be, you know, spending a lot of money now. Like, okay. Um, I mean, people, they're going to be laughed out of the building. There's a handful of people who have any um, kind of consistent through line on that your Rand Paul's and Mike Lee's and really not many others uh, in the Senate. And, uh, and, 
and you know, I think some of the the new Trumpy populists are actually going to be conscious about not caring about that, and they'll vote with Democrats to expand the size of government. So I think that's a huge problem. It's mostly bipartisan. It's going to be goosed by both the pandemic and all this kind of uh, pent up uh, desire um, by Democrats, um, you know, who feel like uh, they got cheated out of being able to spend as much as they wanted to during the Obama years or to have as big enough stimulus. Um, and I think that will uh, be very bad. It'll constrain growth. Um, it will lead to an even more Washington-focused life, uh, you know, uh, president-focused politics. Um, and, uh, and you know, we're just going to be spending more on debt service than on the military. Uh, and we're going to start taking haircuts, uh, mandatory uh, benefit cuts, in uh, these old age promises uh, sooner rather than later, like during this administration, maybe uh, even on some of it, um, that's going to be bad to live through. Um, and it's going to make the politics even more crabby. Uh, so I don't like that. The right uh, is in uh, disarray. It's in delusional disarray. They have um, a chunk of it uh, has a, um, a problem seeing the universe straight at all. And it's not, good anymore it maybe never was good um, but like when you have 127 members of congress voting to not certify an election that was fine <laughs> um uh, and doing that even after the place is ransacked by insane people who they whipped up and told lies to we got a we got a problem on our hands it's it's a very very serious problem um and uh until that problem is resolved in some ways it kind of doesn't matter what they think about or talk about that's that's just like that's an information rot uh and also a moral rot um uh the 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 trump uh, presidency really exposed how shallow the morality was of a lot of people uh and uh and you know uh, that includes a lot of people in media as well, right wing media. Um, it's it's really really awful, and I hope that they are haunted by what they see uh, looking out at them in the mirror. And I hope they've had a real bad two weeks because they should have had a really bad two weeks and and going forward. So um, yeah, I don't have. I think the tr I think Trump will be. You know, I think you maybe you said bull in a china shop earlier. Maybe you didn't. Maybe I'm making that up. But uh, sledgehammer. Uh, I, uh, I've always seen him as, uh, uh, again, a terrible metaphor, but as an, uh, elephant man in a beauty contest. Um, so you bring him there just to show that what you think is a beauty contest is actually super ugly. Um, and, and this, you know, all the stuff that you thought was all fancy and all your peaceful transfers of power and all your pomp and circumstance was garbage and to produce bad outcomes, um, and bad people, which, there's an argument for that. Um, Produced the, you know, uh, the Iraq War among many uh, uh, catastrophes, um, and so you bring this kind of agent there. So there's an unleashing of populism or a leaning into the populism that we've seen in the uh, around the globe the last 10, 15 years. I never really thought America would be part of that. I'm still fundamentally tra traumatized by 2015 um, by the fact that uh, Republicans would choose that guy after what he says and the way that he comported himself. Um, and that says the to European me, style of nationalism. Yeah. Um, you know, my wife is French. I'm, I'm familiar with this breed. Um, and when even the French can figure out a way to make sure that the national front doesn't get into office, um, uh, you know, that's troubling. And it says to me, that's a, that's a long cycle. That's not four years. Um, it's probably more like 20. We still haven't seen 
you know, full Bernieism hasn't been tried, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be this this tantalizing thing just out of reach. I think that at some point that's going to burst through, and and that style of populism will be tried on a national level, and I don't think that'll be good for the country. So I'm uh, unusually for my own temperament, I'm um, I'm pessimistic about um, that style of American politics for a while. A great note to end on, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> Matt, Happy thank you so much. <laughs> thank you very thank much. You, and sorry to ramble on, uh, but it's nice to have a conversation. That was great. Thank yeah, you. It, it, it's great. Sorry, sorry for being in a disoriented day myself. <laughs> it's, it's inaugurated. It's 2021. We're not yes. going to clean it up until the fall. Fingers crossed. Thank you for listening to Uncertain Things. Follow us on uncertain.substack.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Please spread the word to your friends and enemies. We are Uncertain Pod on the social media and are always happy to get into arguments there. Hope to see you soon. Stay sane.